Well, now we're going to transition to a time of looking at God's Word together. But before we do that, I just want to call a couple of things out. First, let's just say this. This is awkward. This is not the way God intended his people to gather across living rooms, really disconnected over technology. But we praise God for the technology that we do get to use. But in the end, our desire and our prayer is that the Lord would contain and heal and halt this disease so that we can get together again every Sunday at 9 a.m. So, As awkward as this may be for you, trust me, it's just as awkward for me. When we made this decision on Thursday to say, let's take a couple weeks off due to coronavirus, we're trying to obey the government and and follow the experts, and and we're attempting to love our neighbors really well, at the end of the day, what we're really hoping to do is invite you into the life of the church here when we get to gather together again in a few weeks. So so that's number one. Number two, what, what I want to do is just pause and pray. I just want to pray for this disease, this coronavirus, for those who are infected, and I want to pray for the Lord to do some things. So if you can, just just join me in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we do trust, as we just sang, that you are sovereign, that you are ruling, you are reigning, and you are in, in control of all things. So you're not looking down on the world right now, kind of wringing your hands, wondering how you're going to contain this virus. You, God, are sovereign. You are in control and you are good. And so in this time when it's hard to see that, we trust your goodness. And so, God, we ask that you would halt this disease. You would uh, give doctors wisdom and and knowledge into how to to study this and create a vaccination. Lord, we pray uh, for quick healing for those who have been diagnosed with this disease. We pray specifically, God, for those who are at risk, highly at risk, the elderly and babies and those who are chronically ill. Lord, would you protect them from being contained? contaminated with this disease. And ultimately, God, we pray that in this season, the church would be the church. We know, God, that when the church is pressed, the gospel spreads even faster. And so we ask that you would do that here in Southern California. And as a result of coronavirus, Lord, the gospel would be made known, hope would be given, lives would be changed, and churches would be planted everywhere. And so, Lord, we love you and we trust you in all things, even when we're confused. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I've entitled this sermon, The Gospel in Weird Times, The Gospel and Weird Times. And can we just recognize this is kind of a weird time we find ourselves in, at least for me, this this past week, I felt a lot of different things and a lot of different emotions. Uh, As I did some research on COVID-19, it was really hard to wrap my hands around what's really going on here, what's true, what's misinformation, who are the experts, who's not the experts, and then what you lump in with that is everything going on on social media, everyone throwing their opinions out. And let me just remind you, those are mere opinions. We're not called to trust in opinions. We're not called to trust in fear or panic, but rather we're called to trust in the truth of God's word. So what I felt we should do this morning as we gather is we should just think about how Christians are called to live and act and think in times like this, in really weird times. How does the gospel inform our thinking? And and kind of the guiding phrase I want to use for this is when we don't know what to think, we know how to think. When we find ourselves confused and surrounded by lots of different opinions and information and input, 
What we don't know what to think, we know how to think, okay? And so what I want to do is think about how the gospel informs our everyday living and everyday decision making. So I have four main points I want to hit really fast for us this morning. The first one is that the gospel is our only hope. The gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel cannot be stopped, and the gospel fills the Christian with courage. So first, uh, we're, we're going to jump into the gospel being our only hope. And we're going to put the text on the slide for you this morning. We're going to be in a few different places, so, so hang tight. You're going to be able to follow along on your screen. So first point, the gospel is our only hope. And we're going to look at Colossians 1 here together. Colossians 1, 23 through 25 says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we're going to see some beautiful beautiful things here about the good news of Jesus Christ. So in verses 21 and 22, we're going to see two kind of positions before God. And and, and Paul, as he writes Colossians, in the first part of verse 21, he's going to paint a kind of a really harsh picture of what humans are like before God. He's going to say that we are alienated. We are separated from God. He will say to us, we are hostile in mind and we are evildoers. In other words, humans apart from the grace of Jesus Christ we are sinners we are sinners by birth we are sinners by action we are sinners by attitude we don't become sinners because we sin but rather we sin because in our core we are sinners and what this sin has resulted in is we are estranged from our creator we are separated from our God so that's that's the first picture Paul is going to say and then at the end of verse 22 He's going to say, on the other hand, another person is holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is a Christian, someone who has been saved by Jesus. But right in the middle of those two camps of people, we see how this gospel is happening. Paul will say, he, this is Christ, has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This is what Christ has done for us. On the cross, Christ died the death we deserved. And through his death, he paid for our sin in full and he provided the way for forgiveness and not just forgiveness of sin, but new life in him and reconciliation to God. So prior to Jesus, we're alienated from God. We are separated from God, but in Christ, we are now united to God again. And this is the best position for any human to be in. And then in verse 23, Paul will go on to say that there's a product of believing in this gospel. He will say you are called not to shift from the hope of the gospel. This gospel that we have believed, this gospel that has been proclaimed to all of us, this gospel that has made us new in Christ Jesus isn't just about the newness of life, but it's about an enduring and a steadfast and a forever hope that we have in Christ Jesus. This is our only hope. 
And hope, just biblically speaking, is a deep confidence in God. An understanding that God is who God says he is and God will do that which he says he will do. And the Christian can throw all their chips on God and trust in him that he will not let them down. He will not fail them. He will not abandon them. He will not forsake them. So what does this mean for us in these weird times? What this means is Christ alone is our hope. So as I look out at the newspapers and everything that's being released, all the information that's coming at a rapid pace, I see us all tending and and moving towards placing our hope in things that are not Jesus. In in my own heart, I experience this, and I'm guessing you do too, that, that we begin to think our hope is in a cure for this disease. Our hope is in a turn in the global economy. Our hope is in our jobs and schools resuming. Our hope is in something shifting in what we're finding right now all around us. And and we're going to pray for all those things, and we already have. We want the economy to recover. We want this disease to be cured. But none of those things can bear the weight of our hope. Only Christ can. Christ alone is the true source of our hope. And when we have placed our hope in Christ through the gospel, what we can trust is in good times, in bad times, in disorienting times, in weird times. Whatever emotions we might feel, whatever things we might hear, Christ is not shifting. He is stable. He is steadfast. And he still loves us. And he's active in our lives. For the Christian, God will say in the gospel, we are his beloved. We are his adopted children. We are saints, not sinners. We are forgiven, not sinners. We are freed, not enslaved. We are cherished by God. We are delighted in by God. And none of that has anything to do with how healthy you are or how unhealthy you are. None of that has to do with whether or not you're employed right now or you're unemployed right now. All of that has to do with the fact that Christ died the death we deserved on the cross and he reconciled us back to God and he reconciled us to a great hope and this text we says we are not to shift from that so friends in this season when we don't know what to think we know how to think and one way we know how to think is that we are stable in our hope not shifting from it not turning from it not veering from it let us fix our eyes upon our savior jesus trusting in him all the more when times are weird so first point the gospel is our only source of hope Next point, I want us to see that the gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel is not just our hope. It's the hope of the entire globe. Listen to Psalm 67, 1 through 3 with me. God's word says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So we see a little progression in these three verses here. So so David is writing this psalm and he begins with a request or a prayer of God in verse one. He says, God, may you, will you be gracious to us? Will you give us your grace? Will you give us your blessing? Will you make your face to shine upon us? And, And as we consider grace, grace is this unmerited, 
unearned, undeserved favor from God. If we got from God that which we deserved, all we would receive is wrath and condemnation and punishment. But God in his goodness and mercy and kindness has withheld that from us and not just withheld those things from us, but he has given us an abundance of kindness in the gospel. So we celebrate that that word may or will is no longer a prayer request, but now it's a promise for the Christian. God has been gracious to us. God has blessed us in Christ. God has made his face to shine upon us. He is present with us. But then we see a purpose statement in this progression here in verse two. He says, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So for the Christian, as we receive the grace of God, we're meant to be conduits of that very grace. The grace of God is never meant to terminate on us, but there's always a ever-expanding movement of that grace to the ends of the earth. This is all-encompassing here in verse two, that God's way, the gospel, be known on earth. Earth, the entire globe, your saving power among what? All nations. So not only is the gospel our hope, and not only can we celebrate that we have received the hope of Christ in the gospel, but now we can confidently know that the gospel is the only hope for all nations. And the end result here is let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. So God's purpose in reconciling sinners to himself and giving us hope is that his name would be glorified among all nations. So this is why we as Christians must see ourselves as hope dealers, as those who give away the hope and grace of Jesus Christ, bringing the glorious good news of Jesus to every conversation, every relationship, every home, every workplace that we can. We bring the good news that Jesus Christ lived the life that's demanded of us that we cannot live and we have failed to live, but he lived that life perfectly. And we share the news that not only did Jesus live the life that that we are called to live, but he died the death that we deserved on the cross. And he poured out his blood that we might be cleansed of our unrighteousness. And not only that, but Christ went and laid in a tomb, in a grave that we dug for him. And then we celebrate, Christian, three days later, by the power of God, Christ was resurrected. And now there's an empty grave that we can celebrate that Christ has defeated sin, death, and the devil on our, on, in our place. And we now have hope in him. And not just us, but our friends can know this truth too. And so we must share this knowing that the hope of this world is not coronavirus being turned around. The hope of this world is not more toilet paper on the shelves and more Purell in our houses. The hope of this world is not more masks on our face and bubbling ourselves off from this world. The hope of this world is Christ alone. And so we celebrate. 
And we praise God because he alone is worthy and glorious and beautiful and sovereign and life giver and protector and sustainer. As much as Story Church, we're gonna continue to pray for doctors and for nurses and for those who are first responders who are giving their lives right now to contain this virus. What we know is at the end of the day, any grace that comes through them comes from the hand of God. And any goodness that comes through them comes from the goodness of God. He alone is protector. He alone is sovereign. He alone is savior. So we must, we must, Christian, know that our hope is in Christ and the hope of the world is in Christ. So when you don't know what to think in these weird times, you know how to think in these weird times. Christ is our hope. Third point, the gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot and will not be stopped. Follow along with me as I read Philippians 1, 12 through 18. God's word says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." Now, here's what's going on in this text. Paul is writing a letter to a church in Philippi, and the book is called Philippians, and Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. So uh, if you're familiar with the story of Paul, uh, he's in jail yet again. And if you're not familiar with the story of Paul, this dude suffered more than all of us combined, shipwrecks and snake bites and imprisonment after imprisonment. And, And what we see here in this text is Paul is suffering again. But what I wanna point out is Paul is, in his imprisonment doesn't view this as kind of some time off or a sabbatical or a time to just kind of uh, moan about the situation he finds himself in, but rather Paul views this imprisonment as a time to proclaim the gospel. And not only that, but this text makes clear that the circumstance, the imprisonment Paul finds himself in has really served to advance the gospel. So here's what that means. What that means is that this gospel spread didn't happen in spite of these circumstances. This gospel spread happened because of these circumstances. That is a massive difference. God is not on his throne wondering when coronavirus is going to be taken care of so that the church can start moving forward again. Instead, God is on his throne looking at this circumstance saying, I am sovereign over this. Nothing bad can befall my people before falling through my throne of grace. And I'm gonna use this very circumstance to make the gospel spread even faster. 
And if you're new to your Bible, I want you to, after this sermon, go to the book of Acts and just scan through it and see the number of times that the church is suffering, the church is persecuted, the church is squeezed, and then watch every time the persecution comes, every time more suffering comes, the gospel spreads like wildfire. The church advances. The name of Jesus is proclaimed in places he has not yet been proclaimed because of the persecution. So Christian, what we know in this time is we're not freaking out because momentum is being lost for the gospel. We're not freaking out because God is not being proclaimed. Instead, we have greater confidence knowing the gospel is going to go forth because of this. And let me just remind you, I don't know about in your life, but in my life all around me, I'm encountering people who are confused and and, and anxious and, and full of fear and wondering what's next, wondering what's next for their family, wondering what's next for their income, wondering what's gonna happen with this whole coronavirus thing. And at that time, we can't reassure them of, of any of those truths. We can't, we're not fortune tellers. We don't know what's going to go on with their job. We don't know what's going to go on with the economy. We don't know what's going to go on with their kids. But what we do know is that the gospel is true and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so as I'm encountering my friends and family who are really worried in these weird times, my role as I see it is to bring the good news to them. The gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel will not be stopped. Now, my final point, the gospel fills the Christian with courage. The gospel fills every Christian with courage. So so here's what we know from the previous three points. Number one, the gospel is our hope. Number two, the gospel is the hope of the world. And number three, the gospel cannot be stopped. And I don't know about you, but, but for me, what that produces within me is greater courage, greater power. I mean, think back to Philippians 1. As Paul finds himself in prison and he's preaching the gospel and jailers are coming to faith, the text will say that his friends that are watching him have greater confidence in the Lord and they are more emboldened in their faith to share the gospel because that's exactly what Paul is doing. So as we think about the hope of the gospel in us, as we think about the movement and power of the gospel in this world, world, we can have great courage. We can take heart because Christ is still on his throne and Christ is still actively working in our lives. So Christians, you can live fearlessly because you're forgiven. Christian, you can live confidently because your future is secure. Christian, you need not panic because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and nothing and no one can change that. So that frees us up to be a people of greater courage. So particular to where we find ourselves in Southern California 2020 here in March, I just want to offer up a few ways in which we as a church can be a people of great courage in Rancho Cucamonga and beyond. Just a few things I want to offer to us. Number one, this is a posture I want us to take. Story Church, let us refuse to panic or be a people of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, we are not, we are not a people of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We are called to be a 
people who are ruled by the peace of Christ, who have the self-controlled nature of Christ, who are bringing the power of Christ, and that should produce a level-headedness within us. In a world gone mad, we are a people who refuse to go mad. In a world gone crazy and chaotic, we must be the people that bring rest and peace. And the primary place we do that is in our posture, by coming to people and saying, it's gonna be all right, God's in control, and the gospel is still true. Let us refuse to be a people of panic or of fear. Number two, Story Church, now is the time for us to serve our city. And behind the scenes, we're creatively thinking about ways in which we can do this organizationally, but right now, this is on each of us organically. We must take up the call to serve our city. I want you to think about the gospel for a second. The gospel is about Jesus leaving the perfection of heaven's throne and coming into this muck and this mire and rescuing us up out of it. So Jesus didn't look at the filth of the sin-stained world and say, I'm good right here. When Jesus heard shots, he ran into the shots fired, not away from the shots fired. So Christian, in this season, we gotta be like Christ and we need to jump into those situations. We need to jump into those relationships We're not going to be reckless, we're going to be prudent, and we're going to be prepared, but at the end of the day, Christians do not hide from culture. We go invade culture and bring the gospel and service to those who are desperately in need of it. And listen, in the last 24 hours, I've gotten text message after text message after email of needs in our own church and needs across our city. This coronavirus shutdown is truly devastating people's lives. People are are losing jobs and losing contracts. People are losing hours and being forced to burn time off. People are being forced to pay for childcare and daycare needs because schools are shutting down. People are being forced financially into some positions that they've never been in before. And now's the time for the church to be the church and to meet those needs. We think back to Acts chapter two, the early church where it says there is no needy person among them. We need to be a church like that. And we need to be for our city in a time like this. So I don't know what that looks like. If it's picking up groceries for someone and bringing them to their house. If it's finding some toilet paper or Purell for them. If it's, if it's watching their children on a rotation for them so that they don't have childcare costs. If it's offering them some leads on a job. If it's offering up a place to stay or a car to drive or some gasoline for their vehicle. I don't know what it looks like. But you know the people in your life that are desperately in need right now. And I want you to pray and ask God if you're the person to meet that need and if you have the resources to meet that need. Now, um, if, if you're hearing this and you're saying, I, I'm that person that's in need, we want to know. Uh, will you go on OurStoryChurch.com and, and send us an email? Uh, fill out one of those connect cards. Let us know your needs. We would love to, to at the very least, pray for you and then l- begin a conversation with you to find out how we as a church can enter in this season to try and meet some needs for you. And that's really sincere. We want to hear from you. Third, the, the final thing I have here under courage is Christian, gladly preach the gospel. Now, this might be a little controversial to say this, but, but it's in here, and I'm going to say this. Uh, all of us are going to die. Coronavirus might kill one of us or might kill someone you know. 
If it's not coronavirus, it's going to be something else. We are all going to die. So we must go back to the first point, that the reconciling gospel of Jesus Christ that produces hope in us is the only way this world will be changed, is the only way this world will be transformed. It's not about simply preserving lives and finding cures. It's about gladly preaching the good news of the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ to any and all who might hear. So as you serve others, as you provide for needs, when they say, why are you doing this for me? You can say because the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ leads me to serve you and love you and you can share the good news there for them and be a hope dealer in the lives around you. So Christian, we are full of hope. This world needs the hope of the gospel. That very gospel cannot be stopped and we must have courage in this time, in these weird times. Now, as I begin to close, I just want to be incredibly clear again on what the gospel is. If you're a non-believer and you're just tuning in because someone sent you the link to this or you saw one of our ads online, I just want you to hear the truth of the gospel. The gospel is about what God has done for us and what we could never do for ourselves. In the words of Tim Keller, the gospel is the reality that we are more sinful and flawed than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved than we could ever hope. We are so sinful. We are so flawed. Ephesians 2 will say we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We have no hope for salvation or for security, but... But Christ Jesus left his throne and gave his life that we might be saved. And the Bible will say, when we are at our worst, at that very time, when we are most sinful, is the exact moment that Christ died for us. So if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I don't deserve this, you're right, you don't deserve this. Or you're thinking, I gotta gotta clean my life up or I gotta get some things in order, I need to figure some things out. That is simply not true. At the worst is when Christ died for us. In order to receive salvation, all you have to do is confess that you are a sinner. And, And here's what confession means. It means you are agreeing with God that you are a sinner. And then you turn from your sin. This is repentance. You turn your back on your sin and you trust in Jesus alone. And at that very moment, you will forever be changed by the gospel. When you trust in Jesus, you will be freely, fully, forever forgiven. Your sins will no longer be seen by God. The Bible says your sins will be separated from you as far as the east is from the west. When you trust in Jesus, your sin will be cast into an ocean so deep they will never surface again. His mercy is so much greater. His Grace is so much greater than any sin you could have committed. There is no sin that can outpace the grace of God. There is no place you can run that is not covered by the shadow of the cross. So let me implore you, let me beg you to trust in Jesus as your Savior. You will be forgiven for every sin, past, present, and future, and you will be gifted a new life, new heart, new name, new hope, new security, new eternity because of Jesus. This is what the gospel is, and this is what the gospel does. So in this time, when we don't know what to think, we know how to think, and we must think through the lens of the gospel. Our hope, the hope of the world, the gospel won't be stopped, and and Christ gives us courage. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. 
And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus, the gospel that changes us, radically remakes our entire lives. As we place our faith in you, we turn from our sin and we trust in you, God, we are given new lives and new names. And so we thank you and praise you for that. And for the Christian listening to this, God, I pray in these weird times you would ground and root their hope ever deeper in the gospel, that the gospel truths they know would sink deeper into their bones during these times. And I pray we would be a people that are steadfast and stable, not giving way to panic or fear, but rather bringing the hope of the gospel to everyone in our lives. And for the non-Christian listening to this, God, I pray in this very moment you would save that you would draw up to yourself, you would convince and convict of sin and give the gift of repentance and faith. And we ask, God, that you would do this for your glory, for your name, and for your noun. As Psalm 67, three says, let all the peoples praise you. God, that is our prayer, that you alone would be praised. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, Story Church members, Uh, At this time, we're gonna transition to giving, just like we do each and every week when we gather together. This week, it's a little bit different. Uh, We wanna invite you to give via the app. Again, it's available in any app store you might have. It's really easy, it's really intuitive. Just click a button and give. Now, let me invite you. Right now, uh, if you're like me, you're looking at the stock market, you're looking at the economy, you're looking at your bank account, and you're wondering, is there still money there to contribute to God's church? And let me, let me just say, let's not ask that question. Let us trust the Lord that he will meet all of our needs. And at the end of the day, let's see this as an opportunity for our money to be missionary ammunition. You heard me talk about all the benevolent needs that are going on in our church. You heard me talk about all the things we're hearing going on in our city. Uh, And what we want to do is begin to receive our tithes and our offerings as you give so that we can meet those needs as a church and we can continue to meet those needs organizationally and organically. And so I want to invite you, don't withhold. Instead, perhaps increase in this season so that that gospel can go forward. So in just a moment, we're going to sing again, and we're going to close out our gathering. But I just want to pray one final time for our tithes and for our offerings. Father, again, we thank you for your generosity in Christ Jesus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. You are a giving and a generous God. And so would we be a giving and a generous people? And would you enable these monies and these finances to reach the needs in our city, to help alleviate burdens and be near the widows and the poor and the orphans, particularly in this time? And so God, we pray this and ask this, knowing that you will glorify yourself through this. In Christ's name, amen.